Hello, welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com. I am Mike Casazza, getting ready to look in the middle of the paint where there's nobody in the middle and throw a lob to Chris Anderson so he can join me after we've witnessed an overtime loss on the road for West Virginia. Chris, it sounds like the head coach is running out of words, and I'm not going to lie to you. I had to do about 20 push-ups and have a beverage here, which I'll explain in a second. To, uh, to get myself ready for this, because I'm kind of out of words, too. I, I don't want to say this is the same thing over and over, but this does seem to follow a script. We've been looking for answers and making suggestions for answers, and I feel like they're cycling through, and there's kind of at a point right now where the end is approaching, and there's not a whole lot left they can do about it. I think Bob Huggins said it best in the postgame, and I quote, It's a game we should have won. I'm tired of saying it. I'm tired of watching it. It's frustrating. I, I know you have a not... question for me. I have one for you because <laughs> I did hear that, and I read uh-huh. your write-up online about that. Yeah. Is that a game they should have won? Uh, well, it depends on which point you're talking about. Uh, going into the game, yes. This is a team you beat by 32 points at home and has gone 2-9 and nine since that game. Has completely... At, when West Virginia beat them by 32 in Morgantown, TCU was, what, 12-3, and 3-0 and in the conference. The only undefeated team other than Baylor in the league was in the NCAA tournament picture, and West Virginia just wipes the floor with them in Morgantown, 81-49. They have completely fallen apart since. More or less, I don't want to say given up on the season because obviously they haven't with the way they played today. But two and nine, this is a game West Virginia should have won coming into it. Counter argument: four straight losses on the road. I believe they're one and six on the road in Big Twelve play now. Um, haven't really beaten anybody of note in conference play. And doesn't have knockout power. Uh, I kind of feel like this is teed up for them to lose. Um, for those circumstances and the fact that TC is running out of time and rope here, they had to win one if they were going to do anything. And, man, if you look at this up by 10 at the end of the first half and you figure this is going good, but, again, uh, they, they just don't put teams away like that on the road. Sometimes struggle to at home lately, too. I really wonder if this is a surprise. I think if you look at everything you just described, yeah, Logically, that makes sense. I think that those superlatives, if that's even the right word for all those negatives you're talking about there, but all those descriptors for TCU, while true, that might mask the reality about West Virginia, which is kind of what I was just talking about. There's some negatives here, too, that just don't make sense. Where, um, Obviously, the answer is to the hotel and then down to Austin, Texas tomorrow, but where do they go from here? Because they tried things. He's pulled a plug on him. It sounds like he doesn't necessarily agree with some of the instructions that he's getting or some of the advice that he's getting. Um, maybe he's at the shrug your shoulders, palms in the air spot right now, and this is going to be a long 24, 36 hours from him. What now? At some point, you have to, and he started to do it, and for the most part, he did it kind of this game. My suggestion is you have to limit this rotation. It's, it, it's becoming extremely clear who your options are off the bench, who your wings are. And you have to, because every single time he, he ventured outside of that, this eight man core group that, that's 
kind of emerged these last couple games that has worked well, things went horribly, horribly wrong for this team. And I don't know what's behind like the decision on some of some of these substitutions this pattern um these combinations but uh, for instance the the first one and the most obvious one that springs to mind here is you go 18 and a half minutes without playing Brandon Knapper having pretty much benched him the last couple games and then you bring him in completely cold to some of the most important possessions of the game. Time management is crucial. TCU's on a run. West Virginia's 10-point lead is down to four, I think, or six when he came in. And Napper pretty much botches it left and right on both ends of the court and then never sees the court again after they've blown the game or blown the lead and then is never back in again. Um, So I don't understand why he even came in for that minute and 50 seconds or whatever it was. Um, but there's little things like that. Like you have your guys stick with them, ride them, stop, stop trying to bring random dudes in off the bench. All right. A lot to hit on here. Let's circle back for a second. Um, I want to read you something that was penned last week and this came after West Virginia went on the road to play Baylor. Things were bad. Um, you know, back to back losses for the first time you're playing number one on the road. You don't think it's going to be good. Um, Baylor lines up without its number two scorer than Mark Vital. Mark Vital, I don't know. They're really good MVP kind of player. Two fouls in four minutes. So they're going to play the final 16 minutes of the first half without two important players for the number five team, the number one team in the country. And West Virginia squanders it completely. So needed a break, got an opening, tripped and fell, didn't win the game. Um, you kind of had a clue that, that this team is, is very forgiving. Uh, but then this is written about the team. Um, it's an eminently beatable team, capable of making things hard on you, but is also capable of making, of helping you out more than and has any business doing. While the Mountaineers fight and fight back, they lack dexterity to string together punches and the power to land a knockout blow against teams they'll see in March. Whew, that's stiff. It goes on. Uh, you take away the advantages of home games as well as the rigors of road games and expect that WV is going to shoot poorly, miss free throws, turn the ball over, have one big on track and one wobbling on and off the rails. A few guards are going to get the look off the bench. Maybe one of them will get going, but at some point the offense is going to hit a rut. The extent of the damage done during that period will range from bruise to break and from break to bereavement. I wrote that. And boy, did I hear about that. Because I do believe you get to a point in the season where you just are who you are. And you can't fix it because you don't have the time or the resources. I don't think you can argue that when I wrote it. I don't think you can argue that after they beat Oklahoma State, and I don't think you can argue that now. Is this kind of like what we're looking at? That's a lot of uh, of dirt on the grave right there, so to speak. I don't think we're tapping the shovel quite yet, but that, that's a long list of negatives, and I can't see a way around it right now either, especially the offense here. We're talking about an overtime game, and they scored 60 points. I, I was about to ask if you just wanted to copy and paste that and use that as your post-game story and just kind of cruise through the rest of the weekend because – that was perfect. That perfectly describes today's game. Exactly what happened. Uh, exactly the issues. And yeah, the offense doesn't get, seem to get any better. And I found it interesting what Huggins said in postgame. And I don't know if you heard this. I didn't ask you before we got on here. But how he kind of said something about the two bigs kind of bogged down our offense and said he wasn't sure that was the case, but he keeps getting that suggestion. And then he followed it up by saying it's the wrong suggestion, implying that 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 I, I how I'm reading it, and so everybody can go back. Please listen to it and take your own interpretation from it. But 
it sounds to me like he's being told that you got to stop playing both bigs together because it's killing the offense, and he thinks that's wrong. Did you hear that, and, and what's your take? Yeah, I referenced that earlier where I said that he maybe doesn't agree with some of the advice that he's getting. Um, I, I do know that he does confer with his assistant coaches, and they have stack keepers, and listen, I know he doesn't like analytics, and he doesn't like the efficiency standards and things like that, but they're not better offensively with one big, or with two bigs in the game. They're not, and, and you've documented visibly the proof there. Um, they're just not. I think that they shoot so poorly that they actually can get second shots or they can salvage some possessions with offensive rebounds. So maybe sometimes they might go one for three on a possession, but because they got two rebounds, heck, suddenly 33% shooting isn't too bad. So that's one thing I think he's trying to think that maybe they can be a little bit better there. And similarly on defense, they're not going to give up a lot of second shots there. So that's his counter. I do think it's interesting that at the start of the second half against Oklahoma State, at the start of the second half today and then the start of overtime today, he went with two bigs. Um, and those were times in the huddle where he says, enough's enough, I have the conch, I'm going to do what I want, and it did. Um, that's my only thought there. I do think it's strange the way he phrased that and perhaps telling, but he's um he's sometimes foreshadowing and even foreboding in these post-game press conferences. I think we were accused of uh, some mountain molehill stuff after the Oklahoma game. It looks pretty providential right now, does it not? Yeah. I think so, and here's where I'm going to flip to the other side and maybe defend the other half of this, uh, where he's you know kind of saying, "Hey, we don't have to, we would wouldn't have to run two bigs, and wouldn't have to dump it in all the time if anybody on this team could shoot." Um, were they two of what for from three point range today? Two of seven, nine, fifteen, two of seventeen today again, mm-hmm. uh, similar to what they were last game. Um, one of those was Sherman hitting a, a desperation three late. Uh, maybe the best offense I saw from this team was in overtime. They are facing the zone. They swing it from the top of the key over to the right wing. And almost immediately, and I, I preached about this after the Baylor game, Culver timed up his, his seal and post at the same time that the ball was being passed to the wing, which led to a quick and easy post-entry pass right into his hands. Finally, a good post-entry pass. Culver gets it. One dribble, looks over his right shoulder as if he's about to shoot over that shoulder, but then sees Sean McNeil wide open on the opposite wing because the defense has to collapse on him. He throws a perfect pass to McNeil in rhythm. I kid you not, I audibly gasped with excitement that they had run a true offense the way it's supposed to be run. It was amazing looking, and then Sean McNeil airballs a completely wide open three at one of the most crucial points of the game. And you're left with Taz Sherman shooting 30 footers uh, on do or die possessions in overtime because nothing comes easy here. Um, Yeah. Very indicative of things. Stop Culver played pretty well and then got frustrated late. And I don't know. He's just got to stay tucked in. Um, He has good moments and good halves and it's the consistency issue um, with things that I know that he knows are going wrong and, a good example of that tonight is he misses a shot late in overtime and then just commits a frustration foul, and, and he knew right away. And that was a big deal. Uh, in the moment, I thought maybe it didn't matter because Kevin Samuel was a, I mean, atrociously bad free throw shooter, I believe, 34%. Um, so you foul him. You figure he's going to go at best one for two, but they're not going to run 30 seconds off the clock, and they're not going to get a better player a shot, a layup, or even a foul. 
And of course, Samuel makes both free throws. That kind of day. Um, this kind of day, too, and I want to go back. This seems like the key sequence to the game. West Virginia makes two free throws, goes up 31-21. They are, at that point, 13 of 27 from the floor. That is exquisite work from this team offensively. And then we see some subs, and Harler comes in, and Napper comes in, and the whole thing stagnates. Um, at one point here, I'm trying to find my notes, uh, you're going to have coming into the game Osaboyan and McCabe come out, as does Matthews. You get Sherman, McBride, and Haley. That doesn't last long. Uh, Harler, McNeil are then back in. It's it's a rotation of players there. Eventually, Napper gets in with about 90 seconds, and this goes from 31-21 to 33, excuse me, 31-29 at the half. It's an 8-0 run, uh, and then they score 11 of the first 13 points in the second half. The game completely flips. What the heck happened at the end of the first half? I have no idea. I think this that was the biggest question mark I had was, again, I, I think I specifically only mentioned Napper, but he was obviously not the only one that kind of got, got thrown in there in the last couple minutes before the half. But this is... This is a trend, right? This, you know, again, we we need to make make it clear that we're not throwing all the blame or anything on one person, one coach, one one stat. It's kind of everything. Everything has to go wrong for for these kind of collapses. And but this is not the first time that we've discussed some very right, right. uneven subbing, and I think it's something that needs to be evaluated and. And why? Like, why? Why are we make? Why is West Virginia making mass subs when they're up ten and on a run, and no one's in foul trouble, and no one's? I mean, I don't know if they're tired or not. I can't speak to that, but it's coming up on the under four timeout. Uh, there had just been a timeout right before that. I it wasn't making sense. Two more things I want to point out, and I do think that. It's very easy to aim the arrow at Bob Huggins here, but I think that we hear him say this a lot, that guys just have to know how to play. End of the first half, 31 seconds, um, there is a foul. Culver goes, excuse me, um, trying to think who goes. Uh, Edric Dennis for TCU goes to the foul line, 31 seconds. So West Virginia gets the ball with basically the last shot. 31 seconds, listen, you don't let TCU get it. Your 10-point lead is going away. At the very least, you should go into the half up 31-27. Maybe even make a basket or two, um, or maybe even get a two or a three, and you're up by more than that. So at the very least, you have a four-point lead, perhaps six, maybe seven. Um, they hurry an entry pass to Culver, who gets fouled with 22 seconds on the clock. He misses the free throw, the front end of a one-on-one. Um, and then, no, he went over two, I'm sorry. Um, and then they go down and they hit a layup at the buzzer. And they go up 31-29 at the half instead of 31-27. Small thing, but points obviously are at a premium when the game goes to overtime. And then they enter regulation. They do a smart thing. Um, they call a timeout. They try to set up. They even get a two-for-one. Um, but on their final possession, where, again, there's a small difference in the shot clock and the game clock. I want to say it's like maybe 24-22. to 22. Sherman takes a shot with about eight seconds left in the clock. And... Some of it's bad luck. It's a long rebound. It goes into the best player's hands on TCU. Bain is going the other way. He hits a layup to win the game. Um, except, of course, that John Higgins calls a, a ch- <laughs> offensive foul for a clear out. But again, right there, just small awareness things where, listen, do you got to take that shot? Do you got to get on the other side of the rim? What do you do? Um, just And again, you may look at Huggins and say, wow, you made him shoot too fast. No, you got to understand things in both of those situations, too. Um, wild 
conclusion to the game with the foul on Bain that Haley absorbed. And to be honest, it's a great call by Higgins. I think it's a clear out. He definitely used the right arm. But if Haley offers any type of defense, if he goes up, if he puts his arms up, the foul's probably on him, right? I was thinking the same thing. I think the only way that gets called is if Haley basically looks like a you know defenseless little puppy getting shoved over. Um, if he puts up any any resistance at all, like you said, it, it's a foul on Haley 99% of the time. Uh, instead, he kind of keeps his hands down and, and just runs along with it. And West Virginia temporarily got bailed out there, I think. Are you worried for them about Monday night? And just to put this in perspective, Saturday Mondays are hard. This is only the second time for as long as West Virginia has been in the Big 12 that they've had back-to-back Saturday and Monday road games. It's typically Saturday and Monday is once at home, once on the road. They've done them early in the conference schedule, but later in the season it's more difficult. You're not as fresh. You have school to worry about, so they'll be in the classroom tomorrow and Monday, I'm sure, while they're on the road. And Texas, boy, I don't want to say a bad team is playing good, but they've looked better lately. And I don't know, one thing about Shaka Smart is players do like him. And, you know, when they go back against the wall a little bit, they tend to get some work done, including winning the NIT last year, um, a home game. There's going to be about 600 people there. It's going to be odd. I just This is not a great situation for West Virginia because it's on the road and they're obviously in a bad spot right now, but it just feels like they're they're pretty ripe right now. Uh, 600, that's uh, pretty generous of you there, Mike. Uh, for those who haven't been keeping track, just last week our Horns 24-7 site had video of about five minutes before tip for the Texas game against – uh, on last week, and there were maybe 200 people in the stands, maybe. And, you know, we've joked in the past about a football team, West Virginia, going out to play at Kansas when the Jayhawk football team is 1-9 and nine on the season and winless in the Big 12, and there's only friends and family in the stands. And it's just a strange environment. It, it's a strange atmosphere. Uh, how do you get up for those type of games? You, you rely so much on on emotion and energy and there is none in those situations and it's the same is going to hold true for basketball west virginia is going to go to austin on monday night and they're going to play an arena that maybe it'll be a little bit better than last week's game but still i wouldn't expect more than you know a thousand or two thousand people there and who's going to respond and you look at the two teams and west virginia's one and six on the road this season texas when they had that situation last week they won that game. They came out with energy. They won that game by double digits, and that team that they beat was TCU, the same squad that just beat West Virginia. So Monday night's going to be tough. It's going to be strange. It's going to be one of West Virginia's hardest games all of a sudden, and uh, we get into this must-win thing a little too often, but West Virginia needs to win this game. Crazy to me that Huggins really talked this up before the game about how the game is because of seeding. And it just seems so strange, but again, this this sixth place deal, your top six teams got to buy. And he said, "Listen, you can't win four games in four days in this conference in the tournament. You know, a buy is a really important thing." And it just seemed like, "What are you talking about? You're going to play TCU. It's a lot easier to end up seven or eight if you lose to Texas. Um, and then because if you're going to lose those games, you can't assume anything. You, know, you can't assume anything against an Oklahoma team that beat you." against an Iowa State team that just plays better at home and, and can score points, and then against, obviously, Baylor at home, too. So, um, boy, it seems strange that a, a game with, you know, minimal significance locally is going to be, you know, a chip to the middle of the table moment for West Virginia. Hey, one confession here before we go. 
because um, I mentioned this at the beginning about how I was going to get ready for powering through this podcast. I went to my refrigerator and grabbed a Starbucks iced coffee for a quick pick-me-up. Chris, it's actually not a Starbucks iced coffee. It's a Paps Blue Ribbon hard coffee. Hmm. That sounds like interest and not mmm delicious. Is that <laughs> is that a correct interpretation? That is a good interpretation. I'm not entirely sure what to think of that because you said you said Paps and and I got this this strange taste that I haven't had in my mouth in quite some time. Um, so Poor guy. It, it was never with coffee. Yeah. So I, I have not been um, drinking and potting. I, I saw this right away and I said, nah, I don't want to say anything too far in the podcast. So maybe I'll save it for later. But um, I'll say when we come back Monday, I might have a review of this. Perhaps, you know, we have to have more regular content right now. Um, perhaps niche hard beverages can be our, our, uh, our new sideline gig. That sounds like a good time. My wife actually had something with her friends not too long ago of sampling all the various hard seltzers and deciding which brands and flavors were the best. So if all else fails and we get a little too slow, you and I can just do the same thing. We'll just steal content from my wife and, and, and make a great podcast out of it. I like it. The better halves, right? Yes. All right. Well, the second half of West Virginia's road trip coming up Monday. We will talk to you after that. So until next time for 24-7 Sports, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.